Women, a podcast that provides a platform for women of all walks of life to share their upbringings, life lessons learned, experiences, and journeys to come. Uncommon Women speaks on topics that can relate to all women. We share, we listen, we laugh, we cry, and we empower each other to be the best uncommon woman that they can be. Ultimately, we are cultivating a global movement of women supporting women. Women supporting entrepreneurship, relationships, self-love, and so much more. We inspire each other to make an impact on this world for the better. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe to Uncommon Women. Now, finally, grab a seat, get comfortable, and hear from your wonderful hosts, Shanira and Jenny Lee. Shanira. Uh, I'm Jenny Lee and we're Uncommon Women. Um, we have an amazing guest speaker. She is coming to come on to talk about her uh, testimony on her story and finding um, and how to find balance through the storm. Um, Deanna Adams, mother of three and the author of A Mother's Survival, Finding Balance through the storm. Her story begins as a child who was molested by a family member. And as she goes into her adulthood, she lacked communication and unhealthy relationships. She will be speaking on her story and how she finds balance through the storms of her life. Deanna's resilience and sharing her story with others is by bringing light into the darkness and to, and to enable to help others walk the road through life's obstacles. Hey, Diana, thank you for coming on. Thank you for inviting me. I'm very glad to have you. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much for being a part of Uncommon Women today and being able to share your testimony. Uh, but before we get into the good stuff, can you let us know about your life and how was everything, um, how you were raised, how, how was uh, everything growing up? Being raised in Brooklyn, New York in the 1950s and 60s with my brother and sister, the world was a different place at that time. Mothers stayed home with their children while fathers went to work and family life and values were the most important part of daily life. All my grandparents had been born in Italy and became United States citizens. Every Sunday, we drove to my grandparents' house in Staten Island for family dinners with aunts, uncles, and cousins. I was lucky to grow up with all my cousins and we are still in contact today, decades later. Although I loved my family, my father was like an Italian dictator in our household, and I often feared his dominance and yelling. But no one would dare disobey him. Despite wonderful memories, I regret that my childhood was taken away from me by my uncle, who began molesting me at age 11. That memory stays with me all the days of my life. Wow. Wow. At 11. Uh, so what emotions were you going through um, as a child, knowing that um, your uncle has, you know, took away your childhood? Well, as I was growing up, mm -hmm. um, okay, my childhood memory of sexual assault. Yes. Every summer, my family spent several weeks visiting my aunt and uncle in the house near the lake. 
One night, my baby brother was crying in his crib. So my dad asked me to stay in the room with him and uh, keep him company while he went to sleep. Lying on the big bed next to him in the dark, I suddenly saw Uncle Scott come into the bedroom. He jumped onto the bed and began kissing my lips and touching my private parts. I was an innocent, terrified, shy 11-year-old girl and did not know what was happening to me. He told me this was a secret to be kept. Do not tell anyone. For the next two years, up to my age of 13, he continued following me whenever I was in that house and molesting me. One day as my dad was driving us to the lake to have a good time, I fought back tears as I sat quietly in the car. I wanted to scream out loud what Uncle Scott had done to me, but I knew if I told my dad, my family would be destroyed. My Aunt Ava, Uncle Scott's wife, would be without a husband and it would all be my fault. In eighth grade, I made a friend, Rita. We were hanging out at her house one day when in my mind, I again saw the image of my uncle coming into my room to molest me and I burst into tears. Rita hugged me and asked, what's the matter? Why are you crying? For the first time, I revealed the secret. Then she gave me advice that saved my life from that moment forward. The next time he tries to do that, bite him, kick him and scream. The next summer came and I knew what lay ahead for me. This time he grabbed me, pulled me into the bathroom, locked the door and began touching me again. Bravely, I implanted Rita's idea and he never ever attacked me again. The years passed and I grew up. Wow, that's so brave of you. Oh. And I'm, I'm sure that had to be hard for you to tell your, you know, your aunt uh, what you were going through as a child. Uh, I, I loved her so much. She was such a wonderful person. She, she also was a teacher of young children and I just respected her. And I just thought that I had, I could help hurt people, me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I hid everything and I became the quiet child who mm -hmm. never spoke. And everyone thought I was such a good child. You know? mm -hmm. Can you um go on? Um, can you talk about how this affected you going into your adulthood? I I stayed as the quiet person for so many years of my life, and um, at certain points, I had family gatherings, and I had to be in a room with my uncle there. Mm. And I remember at one time um, he was still alive and I had two children at this at this point. We came into the room uh, with all the other family members and all I could think of was, I must be with my daughters at every given moment. I can't let them out of my sight with this man in the room. Wow. That must have been a horrible feeling that you, you know, when you have family and they abuse you in that, in that way, you know, we're supposed to trust, you know, family around our children or, you know, 
And instead of them protecting you, they're hurting you. And then now that you came into adulthood and he is still alive and you have your own, you know, your own kids, your daughters. And I know that was like a very, very uncomfortable feeling. Definitely. And um, I still, at that point in my life, I had not shared what happened to me with anyone else. Mm. Up to that point, only my eighth grade friend, Rita, knew anything that happened to me. Wow. I know. What age were you, did you ever share it to your, your parents as an adult? I promised myself that I would never hurt my family. I just, and as a matter of fact, in one of the chapters of my book, my Aunt Ava passed away. Mm. And I remember going to her funeral and kneeling down before her casket and praying in front of her. And I was saying to myself, you did it. You let her leave this earth with peace she never knew. Wow. And truthfully, after I wrote my book and it came out, people began to come up to me telling of their stories of how they had been sexually assaulted when mm -hmm. they were children. And that to me was healing and bonding with others, which I had never had the opportunity to do that before. So this was so much later in life when I did this. And one of the first people that read my book was one of my retired teacher friends. Mm -hmm. She came to me, she called me up the next day after reading my book. And she said, congratulations for having the courage to speak out what happened to you with your uncle. And I said, oh, thank you so much. And she goes, the same thing happened to me. It was my father. And I'm, I'm sitting speechless. I told my mother about it and no one ever believed me. Wow. And she suffered... She got estranged from her family through her entire life. Wow. So I don't know what was the right thing to do at that point for people. But in today's today, I would say be strong, stand up. Yes. Let them take the consequences. I really would. I, I, I can totally relate. I was, uh, I was uh, abused as a child myself. And it took me about the age of 21 to finally come out and say it wasn't a family member, but I was able, I had the courage to finally say something and it, it wasn't easy. You know, it's not easy telling, you know, family members or people that, Hey, this is what happened to me because sometimes they don't believe you. Sometimes they, they be like, Oh, but why did you take so long to say something? And right. then they'll judge you for that. I'm like, do you not know what, you know, being abused can do to you? Do you know what the effects it could do to you as you're even growing into adult and an adult, you know, as an adult, you know, we don't, and you become a parent even worse because we want, we want to protect our children at all costs from anyone from hurting them, you know, because I know I was always like that. And, you know, I had to teach my daughter and my son when they were little, like, no one else can touch you down there, you know, except mommy, you know, if mommy has to watch you or, you know, as they got older, you know, I used to tell them, you know, you don't let nobody touch you there at all, ever. Yeah, I went through the same experience. Yeah. As soon as they could talk and understand, I would I would explain that to them and tell them 
to protect yourself and come and tell mommy if anybody touches you in an in inappropriate way. Yeah. And all children should be taught that. And so that, and they should learn that they should not be afraid to come forward. Yes, I truly believe that as well. Amazing. Has, was there ever a time that your uncle apologized for anything that he's done in the past with you or even just try to have a conversation with you at, as you got older? No, he never, he never did apologize. And I, I remember that uh, he, he finally had a, a, a fatal illness. Um, he had his leg amputated. He was a smoker from his entire life. And my parents wanted to go and visit him during some, some of his final days. Mm -hmm. And in one, again, in one of my chapters, I see my uncle, he has an, a leg amputated He's sitting in a chair with an oxygen tank, smoking a cigarette. And I just look at him and I, and I feel, he was just a lost soul. Mm -hmm. and, and he just he just left this earth like that. Um, my, his son it's told me that his dad was in a, a very um, agitated state when he left the earth. He, he, he never reached peace here. And I just had to let it go. And I, I remember saying, at some point in my life, can I forgive him? Mm. Yeah. And then uh, in the final chapter of my book, I'm thinking of all the people in my life who I had issues with and who I felt had abandoned me in times of need. But I understood that the forgiveness is the answer to all of our pain and it brings us into a better place in yeah. life. Yeah. And I remember as I'm sitting there thinking, I could forgive everyone. I could forgive my ex-husband for leaving me, abandoning me. I understand that he had mental issues now all through the years I figured it out. We, we parted in peace when he left the earth. But I remember saying, I'm not ready to forgive Uncle Scott, mm. but I will work on it. And by the way, I am still working on it. And one of the things that I've been thinking recently, now this happened to me more than 60 years ago when I was 11 years old. Right. Mm -hmm. And so once I came out with, the, with my book and people reach out to me with all their experiences and their their pain and their trauma with having similar things happen to them. And then I say to myself, maybe something good did come out of that. And so maybe before I leave this earth, maybe I can forgive him. But I'm still thinking about it. <laughs> That's good. That's good. So you had spoke on um, being married and having a lot of uh, abandonment issues with your marriage. Can we go into that? Yes. Uh, what yes. challenges did you face, you know, being married to someone with mental illnesses? Okay. I married my first husband, Drew, at the age of 21. Okay. The year, the year was 1967. At this time, I had no knowledge of mental illness 
or the impact it had on people's lives. But as time passed, I became more aware of Drew's obsessive paranoia and fear of germs. While at home, he isolated himself in a dark area with the window shades pulled down, fearing the world outside. He kept to himself in many ways. He disliked socializing, so I gave up my friendships and treasured time with my girlfriends. Sometimes he would notice particles in the room floating through the air, and he would run and hide, believing that he was about to be poisoned. If I did not keep the house clean enough and he saw dust particles on the table, he would wipe his finger over them and begin yelling at me that the poison in our home was because of my laziness and incompetence. Mm. My marriage also isolated me from my parents and family. He usually refused to attend holiday gatherings with me and I had to be with them alone without him. But through all this, I was the same person I was as a child. I kept my secrets and what was going on in my marriage a secret. And I never shared my problems or distress with anyone. I was suffering and I was alone through it all. So based on the information that you provided, did he have like an OCD um, mental disorder? Well, at one, uh, there was no diagnosis at the time. I didn't know what was happening. Uh, I didn't know about psychiatrists. I didn't know what bipolar disorder was. But one day we went to his mom's house and um, she made a pot roast, her family recipe pot roast. We all joined her there. We had a wonderful time. We went back home, uh, Drew and I, and he laid on the couch and he started crying. I said, what's the matter? And he couldn't stop. He couldn't even, he was so upset he couldn't speak. And he said, the pot roast, it, po it was poison. I'm poisoned. I'm going to die. And I'm standing there saying, I, I, no. So I picked up the phone. I called up his parents. I asked his dad to come over. Uh, Drew was in a terrible state. Did, was anybody sick from eating the pot roast? No, everybody was fine. I was fine. Uh, his dad took him across the street to the hospital. Um, they interviewed him and they put him uh, into the psych ward and um, a psychiatrist spent some time with him and they gave him a diagnosis of bipolar disorder. That's the first I knew about it. I had been married to him for maybe six years before that, that actually happened. They did give him some medication at that time, but during those years, they didn't have great medication that was available like they have today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he didn't want to take it. So he nothing changed after that. But that was another episode that he experienced. And I, I, I presume you call that a psychotic episode because you're not dealing with reality and you see something in your mind that's not there and not true. Pot roast was only pot roast. How could he see it as something fearful? Right. So, wow. Yeah. 
Um, is that as was there at any time that you justified his actions because of him having a mental illness? Well, for most of my our marriage, I learned to accept him as the person he was, and I just adjusted. And once you get used to living with someone with issues, I just absorb it into my daily life. But there mm -hmm. finally was a moment when I wanted help. Mm -hmm. Not knowing where to turn, the first thing that came to mind was to reach out to my parish priest for marriage counseling. Drew agreed to come with me, and I began the session by opening up my heart and documenting Drew's issues and behaviors to Father Ryan. Father sat there quietly for a moment, thinking. When he spoke, he said, I'm so sorry, Deanna, but I cannot help you. Most likely we are dealing with a mental illness here. And the best I could do is to direct you to a psychiatrist who has knowledge and experience in providing you with a diagnosis and treatment for Drew. This was the first time I actually began to understand and accept the illness. Oh no, now I had more things to hide from my family and the people I loved. Wow. It was difficult. I can only imagine. Do you remember by any chance when your breaking point was in that marriage where you was just like, I can't hold this in anymore. I'm, I'm ready to speak up on it. I never did that. I just kept holding everything inside me. And I guess you're asking me, uh, what is the breaking point of the marriage? Mm -hmm. There were two factors that contributed to the end of our marriage. First, Drew applied to be an FBI agent successfully. Even though he was a brilliant young man, he passed the test. They never understood, or they, they never addressed or knew about his, his mental illness or his problems. Wow. Uh, with his job as an FBI agent, he was hardly ever home. And after seven years of marriage, I finally had the joy of becoming a mother to a beautiful baby girl. I took a leave of absence from my teaching job, but having a baby keeping you awake a lot added more stress to Drew's new career and lifestyle. Unexpectedly without a plan, I soon realized I was pregnant with my second child. Mm. When I announced this to Drew, he became enraged and no longer wanted the responsibility of fatherhood. Wow. He insisted I get an abortion. Then I had to make the choice of giving up my child for him or living with his anger. I chose the life of my second daughter, but with her in our lives, he distanced himself from all of us emotionally. Too much work, too much anxiety, no time for us, he said. So he met a woman through his job with the FBI and sat me down for an announcement. He was no longer attracted to me. I only wore a housewife clothing with baby vomit on it. He found someone new who knew how to dress professionally and he was now leaving me. In the flash of an eye, he packed his suitcase and walked out the door. So here I was, a single mom with no job, no money to buy my children food, no separation or divorce agreement. This was another moment that remains within me all the days of my life. 
Wow. Can you um, speak about um, your second marriage? How did you yes. meet him and how did that go about? Okay. It took a few years to find the strength to overcome, overcome all my obstacles, but I did it. I joined a support group for the divorced and separated and returned to my elementary school, New York City teaching position. I could now support my preschoolers and my self-esteem rose as I at last achieved my goals. I had become empowered and felt ready now to move on. I felt ready to search for the man of my dreams, someone who could love and accept my children and stand with me through all the unforeseen challenges of our future together. At a church gathering for singles, I met Ray, also the parent of two children. Within a short time, I introduced him to my daughters. They played together, interacted, and laughed. With the love that we felt, we bonded and married, happily pledging to raise our four children together. At that time, we had no idea of the rough road that lay ahead for us. Although Ray had been granted custody of his children, his ex-wife visited and kidnapped them. They were listed among the New Jersey missing children for a year. When found, Ray's teenage son came to live with us as he struggled to overcome the trauma of his recent experience with his mom. When Ray's daughter reached the age of seven, a DNA test proved that she was not his biological daughter. Wow. wow. It, it came suddenly. Uh, I had gone with Ray to a college reunion where one of his friends pulled him aside and said, I just want you to know that your wife was having an affair at this particular time and Ray had never even thought of it. We all suffered a loss as the child was legally ripped from our lives forever. And my daughters often longed for the love of their natural father, Drew, and, and they often felt abandoned and forgotten by him. They also became upset and involved when I took Drew to court to fight for the child support. He had refused to pay. Although raising a blended family brought with it many difficult times, Ray and I were able to ride through the storms and help them grow up as finally the sunlight did make its way through the clouds. Wow. So Deanna, what um, made you decide to wanna to write a book? What inspired you? Okay. Often throughout the years, as I was experiencing one dramatic event after another, I would say to myself, I can't believe this is happening to me. Someday I have to write a book about all the endless battles that I've had to face in this world. And finally, the day came when I retired from 38 years of teaching. So now at last, my children were grown and I had time for myself. I asked myself, what should I do with the rest of my life? A light went off in my head. Here was the opportunity to write my story and give the world a message. I wanted my book to address the consequences of divorce 
on children in today's society. While some divorces work out well for children, often children become the victims of parental fighting over custody, custody and child support. And no matter what, children will always strive for the love of both of their parents. And divorcing parents must remember to always put the needs of their children first. As I sat at my computer for the first time to begin chapter one, again, the image of my uncle creeping into my bedroom appeared in my mind more than 50 years since that day. So I began my life story with my childhood, striving to give other victims of sexual assault the understanding that with strength and perseverance, they can survive all things. Uh, I think you brought up a good point about, um, you know, the children and what children go through when parents are going through divorces. Um, yes. Did you, did you speak to your children in regards to um, their emotions and what they were going through um, as you guys were going through your divorce and your marriage? Yes, we, we tried to speak with them constantly and we, we wanted to, uh, them to have their natural dad and um, Ray wanted his children to have their natural mother in, in their lives. But sometimes it was really difficult. Um, like for instance, one time my daughters went to visit Drew, their natural dad, and he walked them around his house where he was then living and he said, Look at my kitchen cabinets. The door fell off. I don't have any money to repair it. Look at my floor. I need a new floor in here, in the kitchen. I don't have any money. Your mom wants to steal all my money. Oh, and your stepdad. Wow. Yeah. And he just, he walked them through the entire house, repeating it over and over again. My daughters came home and they ran into the house and my older daughter ran upstairs to her bedroom and closed the door. She was in the bedroom crying. I, and I ran in and I said, what's the matter? And she goes, dad told us everything. That you're stealing his money, you. And, wow, wow. And so I had a long way to go. So that is so cruel. That is not what a parent is supposed to do. So the children, often become the victims mm -hmm. of the anger of what people hold in, in through their divorce. Yeah. Yeah, you never put your children in between, you know, what you guys are going through as adults because they can hold resentment too, not knowing why, um, or blaming themselves when it has nothing to do with the children. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So I hope that people do understand that, but I, I, I know that, Going through a divorce is very emotional for everyone, but that was the, the most important message that I wanted to, to give to society. Mm -hmm. Don't do that. My daughters suffered. Mm. And my stepchildren also suffered As by well. being taken away from their mom, mm -hmm. by their mom. And, and, and I remember my stepson saying at one point, my, my, Ray said to him, Ray, why didn't you call me up? You know, you're a young man now. He said, my mom told me I, I, I could never call you because 
if they found her, they might put her in jail and it would be my fault. Wow. So. Wow. Each, each, uh, uh, what, what we went through was unbelievable. And my heart just broke for their pain over and over again. And sometimes there's only so much you could do and you don't have the power to fix the situation, no matter how right. much you want to. But you could be there and you could be a support. And that's the best that I felt that we could do. Well, can you share some tips to help those um, overcoming any traumatic circumstances in their life? Well, to stay mentally healthy while dealing with stressful events, the most important thing I learned is to talk to others and share your pain. Mm -hmm. As a child and a young woman who was shy and never spoke, joining a weekly support group for the divorced and separated changed me into a better person. Sitting in a small group with others experiencing similar circumstances enabled me at last to speak and bond with other group members. I became friends with other single mothers we took our children on play dates. We learned to smile and laugh again for the first time in so long. Also, writing your feelings on paper is extremely therapeutic. Writing and publishing my book, A Mother's Survival, Finding Balance Through the Storms, was the best thing that ever happened to me. After reading my book, readers often reach out to me, bravely sharing their own stories of abuse and divorce. I feel like a different person. I'm no longer afraid. I can speak in libraries, local TV shows, and in this uncommon woman show today. I am blessed to be here. Thank you. Mm. No. Um, Deanna, um, my next question is, you know, we women sometimes want to give up, you know, with a lot of the storms that we go through in life. Can you give um can you give other women tools to help them and what they can do if they've been ever, you know, in a relationship with someone that had mental illness, any abuse, any uh or any custody uh issues that they have gone through. Can you give um can you give women some tools for that? If you are at the point of giving up. It is time to seek medical help from a professional, like a counselor and more importantly, a psychiatrist. Because if you wanna give up, this will lead you into a state of depression and you will not be able to enjoy the days of your life. Pres yeah, prescribed medications are a tool and they can help our bodies regain the balance that we need. There was one time where I was experiencing so much anxiety and I actually, even though I had, again, something else that I had never considered in my life, I went to a doctor and I couldn't sleep because of all the things that were going on in my life. And he gave, he gave me a prescription of Zoloft and I actually, I've been taking it for many years and I still take one Zola 50 milligram tablets per day and it helps me cope and it gives me strength. 
it's a, and it gives me something that I need. Because when you are going, going under stress, it becomes a physical thing that works on your body. So you should seek any kind of medical help or counseling or group support that's available to you. Don't give up. I've been there, done that. Don't give up. You could do it. I agree. That's great. So can you share a little bit more about your book, um, how we can help you uh, share your business and where your book is actually located? My book is on Amazon. And one of the things that I learned to do when it first came out was I joined organizations with other writers. And one thing I love to do is attend book fairs and have my books on display. And I have a giant poster with things that I address in my book. And I love it when people just walk up to me and they see what, what's, what, what my book is about. And so many people come up to tell me about their abuse <laughs> mm. and what they're going through at the moment in their divorce. And it makes me feel like I have meaning. My life still has meaning. Mm. When I was a teacher, I touched the lives of young second graders mostly. And I felt like that was the value of my life. But now that this is, I've come to this phase of my life with my book coming out into the world, mm. it brings me extreme satisfaction and I strive to reach more readers. So anything that I could do to find the way to reach those people, I would, I would love that. I'm still working on it. Those are my, that's my new goal. Reach more people, get my message out to the world. Wow. Um, I love your story and, and, and how powerful it is. And you, and you know, and it took you a long time to speak up, you know, and be able to share your story. And then now you put it in, and you put it in the book, which is even more powerful because, you know, someone can just like be going through something and they want to read something and they could just find you, you know, on the internet and, and yes. be able to like, you know what, I'm going to read that book. I want to, because it's, it, you know, and especially when you named it a mother survival, which, you know, we mothers like to look at things and find things where we're able to be like, you know what, I need to find something that, you know, me as a mom, you know, it, it, it's intriguing, you know, you find a book because I know I get like that when I want to start searching for something and and your book is right there in that same book. They might not know at the moment that that same book that you have wrote is something that they've already gone through too, also in their life. Yes, when I when I first wrote my book before I had it published, I was going to give it the title Diary of a Mother. And then uh, I was I was in a writer's group and with these people who had also written their books and we're sitting around uh, helping each other with our book projects. And two of the women there said, no, that's too much of a boring title. Let's let's find something else that will draw people into wanting to read your book. So they helped me come up with 
mother's survival, finding balance through the storms. And I love it. Mm. Yes. And also being a teacher in the city of New York, <laughs> I'm going through all my personal life. Mm -hmm. It was not easy being a teacher in the city of New York. <laughs> I can only imagine. Yes. <laughs> Especially working quite often with special needs children and um, in, poor, in, air, in poor areas where education wasn't the primary goal of the, of mm -hmm. the residents. So there's, so there's a part of me in the book. So I also hope if pe people who read my book, I hope they understand that teachers do not have an e the easy job that they believe teachers have. So sometimes people would say, oh, teachers are out of work at three o'clock. Uh, mm -hmm. And then they have all the summers off. Wow, what a job. They're getting paid too much money. <laughs> mm -hmm. They have no idea what responsibilities they have all day long, mm -hmm. helping helping these children in so many ways. I, I, the people that I have worked with are angels beyond words. I've been so blessed to know all the teachers in New York and also in New Jersey. They are mm -hmm. wonderful people dedicating their lives to helping children. That's amazing. And you, um, you're wonderful as well to be able to uh, just have the patience to deal with, you know, different personalities, especially with children and uh, just being a teacher to be able to help them and teach them uh, something that they can actually grow up with, you know, giving them the foundation and the tools that they need um, at school to be able to further their education as adults. So that takes a lot of courage as well. It sure yes. Does. Yes. Mm -hmm. It sure does. Is there anything that you would like to share or that we didn't cover? Um... Yes. Two things. Okay. The experiences first, the experiences of my life have led me to wisdom and knowledge. Looking back at the many crises I faced beginning from childhood, I know that the answer to survival in this world is forgiveness, as I spoke a little of earlier. Mm -hmm. One must learn to let go of the fury which interferes with every aspect of our existence. Without forgiveness, we lose the power to love and be happy in our own selves. In the final chapter of my book, as my first husband drew, spends his final days fighting pancreatic cancer, we reconcile years later with words of love and regrets for the things that drove us apart. This brought me the closure and serenity, which I had longed for for so many years. This helped me finally find the path to peace. The second thing I want to share my experiences being married to Drew have made me understand the pain and suffering that mental illness brings into someone's life. And often the way they think and perceive situations interferes with their ability to function and their personal relationships. They often have to live with the stigma that society imposes on them. They are rejected for their behavior. They are not understood. I am thankful that today, medical science has provided us with medications that improve lives and deal with symptoms such as the depression, anxiety, psychosis, and more. 
So when I, I have also come into contact with other people throughout the course of my life who have, who have mental illness. And I know that they have sometimes been hospitalized and to seek help. But I also know so many other people who make judgments against them mm. and just see them as, oh, they're, they're just lazy. That's why they won't work. But they might not have the ability to do that. Right. Yeah. So we need much more com compassion for those who suffer with mental illness. And mm -hmm. it is an issue with the brain. I'm, I'm not a doctor right now to talk about that, but I have read that the brain is functioning differently. And in many people, because of that, they don't see the world in, in reality. And I can easily identify that with Drew. Mm -hmm. wow. A piece of dust on a table. That's what, what he saw. I, I couldn't convince him that that wasn't real, his fear. Right. Wow. Wow. And that's true. I think uh, we do have to, you know, take heed to um, also getting a mental check for ourselves as well. Uh, a lot of people don't take the time to get evaluated. So I believe that everybody should take time to be evaluated in their, in their own beings to see um, if they have any mental illnesses as well. Cause a lot of people don't. Yeah, that, that is certainly true. Cause you know, um, I have a mental illness kind of runs in my family. So I've seen, you know, sometimes people deny it too. People don't think anything's wrong with them. And you know, like, I'm not a doctor, so and like Shanara said, I think it's possible if you're if you're not if you're feeling different, not un misunderstood, like um, Diana said. I think the best thing anyone can do is go get checked because you know sometimes we can deny it to the fullest, and then it takes a lot for especially with somebody's in, uh, that has a mental illness. You know, they'll just be like, "Well, I'm okay. Nothing's wrong with me," but. In reality, everyone around you is seeing it except yourself. Right. I, I think that that's the biggest problem with mental illness is that people do not want to accept that there's something wrong with them that needs to be treated. And they refuse to go to a doctor or a, a hospital to get the help that they need. So I had a, a brother-in-law at one point and he, his behavior is obvious. Um, that he has a mental illness and it, it does run in uh, his family. And one day his sister got so concerned about him, she got uh, all her brothers together and uh, went over to his home and uh, called nine, dialed 911 and asked and asked, had, had an ambulance take him away to a mental hospital based on the fact that she said uh, he's a danger to himself or others. Mm -hmm. And so he was admitted against his will, but he had an opportunity there to talk to many therapists, nurses, doctors, psychiatrists. And under the law, he could only stay there against his will for a certain number of days. So he left and said, there's nothing wrong with me, but he continued to go on. He continues to go on with episodes in his life that are out of control. And mm -hmm. people continue to be concerned about him, but if he doesn't want the help himself, we can't fix it. Right. We can only do too much, so much. 
Yeah. So, so family support is very important. Yeah, it sure is. There, there are there are times when family can really encourage the person mm-hmm. and, and take mm-hmm. them to a facility where they can get that uh, help that they need. So, yeah, family should also consider that and keep that in mind if they have any any other family members who they think is suffering. Absolutely. Uh, they definitely need that support and it, they have to first admit that they have an issue, you know, yes. but once they admit that with the family support that they need, I feel as though that it would be smooth transition in regards to getting the help that they need. So yes. I agree. family is definitely goes hand in hand for anyone that has a mental illness for when it comes to getting support. And um, hopefully he does get the help that he does, uh, that your family member needs. Um, We'll keep him in prayer. Uh, Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Thank you for your transparency. Um, Thank you for your courage to be able to share your story and to be able to write a book to help others. And there is one question we do ask all our guest speakers, and that is, what makes you uncommon? (laughs) That is an interesting question. What makes me uncommon? Okay. There are several meanings for the word uncommon. <laughs> Some of them are unusual, rare, exceptional, and strange. I definitely think I fall into the category of unusual. I went from being someone who never spoke to someone who stands before audiences and never stops talking. I belong with the other uncommon women have shared their stories, become empowered, and appeared on your show to motivate others to do the same. Mm -hmm. I want to be one of your uncommon women, and I am proud to feel that I am today. Yes, you are. And we- Indeed, indeed you are. (laughs) We applaud you for coming on and sharing your story, uh, because that definitely does take courage. especially for everything that you've been through, because it's definitely a traumatic situation that you've been through as a child. And then, you know, going through things as an adult and going through things as a mother, because I'm a mother, so I definitely (laughs) that as well. Uh, We just endure you so much for coming on today and sharing your story. Uh, Thank you viewers for tuning in to Uncommon Women. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel on Uncommon Women podcast. Um, If you have any topics, questions, or would like to be a guest speaker, uh, be sure to go to our website at uncommonwomen.net where you can fill out to be a guest speaker on our website. We also have our self-love apparel on our website as well. And Next week, we have a guest speaker that's going to be uh, coming on uh, October 8th at 7 p.m. So thank you so much, viewers, for tuning in to today's episode with the amazing guest speaker, Deanna. And please remember to stay uncommon. (laughs) Thank you, girls. It was a pleasure meeting you.